Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm glad you're well enough to be here. Some of our friends, I hope they're not all sick. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of bad stuff going around. Um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's been a good week. I don't always bring you up to speed on our household, but just one real quick thing. It's, uh, it's been a good week. We've, Kim had a milestone birthday all, over the weekend, and so all the kids have been in. So it's been fun to have all of our children in the household and um, been celebrating with, with them, and they've been celebrating, honoring their mother, so it's been fun. But today, um, we're at the next to the last Sunday of our series that will never end, right? But they, the eternal part's next week. Um, we're doing the resurrection of the body today, something really straightforward, not controversial. Um, trying to get our funds in order here, get the baskets passed. Important things, important things here. Yeah. So, yeah, and this is one of those phrases. We've There's been two or three phrases that have been um, just difficult for the church to, to wrestle with. And uh, this is one of them. And this has come up more than once in the class. We've talked about this uh, a number of times. And all we can do today in uh, our 30, 35 minutes is to try to Again, try to be as clear as we can about uh, what the church has confessed uh, and encouraged us to confess. The, the Apostles' Creed is a confession. Um, it, it's what our deepest convictions are uh, about who God is and who we are. And, and this week and next week, this is sort of part one, next week's part two, um, is our convictions about uh, what we hope for, and as we'll see, I mean, what we hope for is inseparable from in whom we hope, right? Where our hope resides. Uh, it's not a general human hope. Um, and as we said, that this third article that we're, that we're in the creed um, is about the spirit and the work of the spirit in our lives. and. So we talked about, we believe in the Holy Spirit. What was next? Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. Forgiveness of sins. Resurrection of the body. And life eternal next week. Right, very good. I haven't been quizzing you. I've been thinking all along I should be quizzing you. Make sure you're still. Uh, but you passed today. Well done. Um, and we've, we've tried to, to notice how these things are linked. They're not separate articles, and we'll see that today as well. Um, I want to just sort of give a couple uh, sort of fair warnings on the front end. Um, one is this is hard. Okay, the, the, the one today is hard, partly because the, the biblical teaching about this and the earliest Christian tradition runs a little counter to what uh, a lot of us, in, even in Christian circles, uh, sort of think in, in our imagination, okay? So 
I have no illusions that in 35 minutes I'm going to do much more than just confuse you. But I'm hoping it's a holy confusion. Um, and it, not that you'll be wholly confused, but it'll be a holy confusion. Um, in that it might open, my hope is in the short time, we might open a little space for us to imagine uh, that actually what God is envisions for us and what God has called us to hope in is actually far better than what we've been taught to hope in. Okay, so that's my hope, but I don't want to minimize the sort of potential disorientation it might be. Okay, so I'm just trying to be honest about that. It may not be, may, again, I don't, don't presume to know where you are on this, but I know as I came over time to grow into what Scripture actually is teaching about this, it was disorienting to me. And uh, there's plenty of days when it's still a little disorienting because it's just been so deeply steeped um, into a, a particular way of thinking about this, okay, that has more to do with the development of the Christian faith and Western culture over 1,500 years than it does with Scripture, okay? And the other thing is, um, I'm also deeply aware um, that as I'm, you know, teaching, you know, the Virgil Anderson, you know, young adult Sunday school class, <laughs> that isn't entirely populated by young adults anymore because you've expanded and invited other people in. Um, and other things have happened. Um, I'm also deeply aware that the topic of our future hope is, is not theoretical for you in the way that it can be for 22-year-olds. Okay? So I, I, I want to be deeply sensitive to that. Okay? So I, I just want to say that as well, that I'm, I'm aware that uh, all of us... I mean, all human beings have something deeply at stake in this, but some of us feel it more than others. And, and I want to honor that in what I'm saying today. Okay? So with those two things in mind, I want to start just not with Scripture, but I just want to kind of remind us of a context that we're in in the 21st century. And that is there's a, there's a couple, there's more than two options, but there's two really powerful options um, about thinking about human beings and their, their fate. Uh, one we could call what's often called materialism, and that is the human being is nothing more than human matter. Everything can be reduced in the human being to a series of chemical reactions. Okay? And death is merely the cessation of that very human material reaction. Okay? That's pretty prominent in lots of circles. Uh, not so much around here. But there, that, that is a very powerful um, way of looking at the world and looking at human beings. And it's probably, we have every reason to believe that it's going to become even more prominent, uh, more uh, widespread, more convincing in some ways. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, the, you know, it's amazing you know, how much neuroscience has, has taught us about things that really are bodily. Right? And, and that has caused an interesting reaction, um, which has been, it's a long reaction, but that is a lot of people, inc including Christians, 
I wanted to insist, but, but we're more than that. Which is true. Okay. We are more than that. Um, but what Christians have tended to do, at least some Christians have tended to do, is by saying, well, no, we're not just that. We're also this other part. In fact, the most important part of us is this, this part that's not matter at all. We call it the soul, and that's who I really am, because that's the part of me that's going to endure after death. So it looks like you have this kind of uh, disagreement. Um, one side doesn't think there's anything other than matter. We're just material creatures. The other side thinks, well, we're, we're a matter, and we also got this other thing called the soul. So we've got two things. And, and matter's not unimportant, but the really important part is the soul. So what this side's missing is actually the most important part. Now, what I want to try to be clear, if you, don't, if you don't stick with me for the next 25 minutes, if you just like check out right now, let me just say, I'll just give you the answer, okay? <laughs> Neither one of those is biblical, okay? Neither one of those is biblical. So that's the hard part, because the second one's like, that's what I thought Christians taught. Well, Christians have taught that, but it's not fully biblical. So that's, and trying to untangle that in 35 minutes, I'm not that good of a teacher. Um, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try to help you see why that might not be so. And then we'll, like next week's going to be part two. So I get more chances to confuse you next week. Okay. So, so stay, stay with me if you can. Okay. Um, so that, I just want to kind of set that up because this is a, a real life issue now and we can't separate our own challenges the way we think about it. Uh, the way we read scripture is influenced by our own context and everything that's been taught, right? So it's, it's really complicated as far as how we got here. Let's remind us um, a couple things. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament has almost nothing, okay, about the state of human beings after death. Remarkably quiet about it. Um, well, that's not entirely true, but what's, what's, what they say is largely unrecognizable to us, right? Um, in the Old Testament vision, the Jewish vision was um, if you ask what did the Jews hope for, it was, well, all we can hope for is the faithfulness of God, right? And so the Jewish vision in the Old Testament is that the dead go to Sheol, and the covenant people of God knew that all they, all they could do was cry out to God in hope that God would somehow, somehow, um, deal with them faithfully in covenant. Um, but they didn't know what that meant. Um, we might call it a kind of open hope, right? That you get some glimpses uh, at different places in the Old Testament where there might be some enduring uh, life uh, of human beings beyond the grave. Uh, other times, it's uh, the Jewish hope is that you will live through your, your children, right? Um, and so, so it's, it's, it's really fairly limited. But we know by the time of the New Testament, even in Jewish circles, there are debates about this. You recall this from maybe Sunday school at some point, 
right? Some of you <laughs> might have even taught children in Sunday school. There's a little, little, little ditty songs, right, about one of the debates between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you recall, right, was about whether there was resurrection, right? The Pharisees, of which Paul was a Pharisee, you recall, um, who always get a bad rap because they're often in conflict with Jesus, but you'll recall they actually had conviction about resurrection. They believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees largely did not. Okay. So notice it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a debated question in Jesus' day among the Jewish people. Um, but Paul, who writes most of the literature that we're going to look at today, uh, did. Okay, he did firmly believe in the resurrection, but what he believed about the resurrection was radically transformed by what happened to Jesus. Okay, so Paul's not just carrying over conventional Jewish wisdom. He realizes something dramatically has happened in the death, resurrection, ascension, all those things we talked about in Article 2. Okay. Now, Paul, third piece, okay, so we had our own context, Old Testament context, Jesus context, but let's broaden that context to remind us one other thing. Um, Jesus and Paul are living in a world, a uh, Greco-Roman world, deeply influenced by Greek philosophy. It's in the air everywhere. Okay. This is, you know, 500 years, roughly, after the great Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. Okay. And they taught the immortality of the soul. Okay. By which they meant that the human person, just by being a human person, had a kind of physical existence, but they also had this immortal soul. And for them it meant, I mean, the soul was literally immortal. I mean, it was... you. Your soul came into a body and then would go out of a body. So it, was, it wasn't just, your soul pre-existed your body. So souls were immortal on both ends. Okay. So it wasn't just a soul that extends over time, but it was a soul. The soul was, by its very nature, immortal. It had immortality in its very essence, if you will. So the New Testament writers, I mean, that's in the air everywhere. Uh, they're in conversation with people who are very aware of that. Um, if Paul and others wanted to talk about the immortal soul, all they had to do was just use the language that everybody knew. Okay? Paul doesn't talk about that. And the New Testament doesn't talk about that. So it's not because they didn't have the language. So I want you to know, it's not like they never thought of it. It was everywhere. That was conventional wisdom there. So the fact that the New Testament scriptures talk about the human person in a way that actually turns its back on that is not insignificant. They had that option. And the, and the early church, I mean, there's a good argument that the early church would have been a lot more successful had it turned that way. Because a lot of the early debates in the first two or three centuries with, of Christian people with sort of the pagans around was on this precise point. You recall that when we were back at the very beginning of the creed, no, you don't remember, because I can't remember, <laughs> um, back in 2012 or whenever it was we started, right? 
You, you recall that the, the, one of the earliest heresies, one of the earliest false teachings that the Christians are dealing with is Gnosticism, right? The Gnostics, remember we talked about the Gnostics, right? It's the word from what we get, knowledge, right? Um, knowledge comes from the Greek word, gnosis, right? And these were the Gnostics, right? But just like we don't say knowledge, we don't say Gnostics. Same word, right? Um, and the point was, for them, it was the immaterial reality that was important. Matter was evil, which was why God couldn't create it, because God wouldn't have anything to do with created matter. Jesus couldn't become a human person. That would be disgusting, because that would be coming evil. And you certainly wouldn't talk about the resurrection of the body. That would be offensive. Like, on all counts, like Christian, this Christian faith is a loser, culturally. There's nothing appealing about it as far as sort of the culture of the day, the sort of worldview, mind frame of the day. Okay. So it would have been a lot easier for Christians to say, oh yeah, we believe what you believe. Immortality of the soul, uh, body is junk. When you die, it just, it just rots. God's done with it. It was a bad thing. It was just a vehicle for the really important part of you, which is your soul. That's what the Greeks believed. And if, if Christians had said that, you know, people might have said, okay, well, you know, we can talk. Um, we can be friends. But that's not what they were saying. They're talking about God create, being the creator of all that is. A God who actually is willing to take human flesh. The word became flesh in the Gospel of John. Ooh, the Greeks would say. Why would you do that? I mean, this is evil stuff. It's just going to rot. That's not, that's not human beings. And God raised this Jesus from the dead. It's like, get, get off the body stuff. So I just want you to, to see what we... We can stand up. A lot of you have said, you know, I've said this all my life, this creed. We have no idea how crazy and revolutionary the, what the Christian confession was. Right? I just want you to kind of get your head around that. That if you're finding it uncomfortable, what we're talking about today, you're in good company. Right? It just, the Christian faith didn't get just a warm embrace out of the box. It pretty much grated against everything that people thought. Particularly when it came to the human being. Okay. So, so that's the context in which... Jesus comes, the early church, including Paul, are writing. And to be clear, Paul and the New Testament is not offering another sort of general assumption about the human being. Right? Our convictions aren't that human being has something in it called you know, a little spark of immortality. No, it, it, it's a fully Jewish faith. Now we're echoing this Old Testament. I said the Old Testament had a kind of open hope. It couldn't really name it. It just knew that it would, had, they had to put themselves into the hands of God and trust in the faithfulness of God over time. 
But now the early church has, we might call, uh, a kind of fulfilled hope. Because in the resurrection of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, God has not only defeated death, but also honored our full existence as human beings. God also did that in the incarnation. Right? You have to ask yourself, if, if the only part of us that really is important is something separable from the human person called the soul, some ethereal sub substance, then, then why, does, why does God take on a body? And certainly, why is the body resurrected? Right? What's that about? Well, this is what the early church is trying to say, that somehow something important is being said here in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's not just about Jesus. Jesus, Paul says, is the firstborn of the dead. Okay? And so what the, what the early church had to say about human beings was not based on some theory about human beings that stood alongside of Greek philosophy. It wasn't just another philosophy. It was something you could only know through the revelation of God, through this very act of God, in and through Jesus Christ. Because the New Testament is very clear. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit, right? Very clear, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15 is what happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Now, Paul's going to stretch human language because, I mean, how can you name, how can you narrate something that's never happened before? You don't have the language for it, but he's going to take the language he has and tries to say and tries to assure the Corinthian people that the resurrection of the body, which is pretty much what 1 Corinthians 15 is about, right, is a real thing, not just for Jesus, but for us. Because apparently there's some question about that in Corinth. Um, people are not sure that this thing that happened to Jesus has anything to do with them. And it had all kinds of practical implications. And we just, I mean, part of what Paul's wrestling with is, and this is, this was one of the, uh, the fallout of Gnosticism, was if, if your body isn't really you, right? I mean, if your soul is you, but your body's just sort of an expendable, you know, sort of vessel for the part that's really you, then one of the possible implications of that is that you can do anything the heck you want to with your body. And so part of what Paul's wrestling with the Christians is a lot of them think, well, they can just go to the prostitutes and do with what they want to with their bodies because that's not them. Okay? That's not them. You see, you see, I mean, there's something... So this is not just a theoretical conversation for Paul. This has real-life implications for our whole being, which Paul thinks includes our bodies. So, let's talk a little bit about why this matters. I mean, there's several things at stake here. Um, the first thing is that Paul is trying, and the New Testament is trying to help us see that when God comes in the flesh to save us, God wants to save all of us. 
Okay? This salvation is complete. It's whole. God is trying to save the whole human being. And the whole human being is an embodied being. We are bodily beings. Okay? When God created us, God declared us to be good. Now we're back at Article 1, right? Oh, uh, God doesn't, there's nowhere in Genesis where God says, you know, these are little spirit creatures that I'm putting in these inferior little dust boxes, right? Um, just for a while. No, God declared we're good, right? That's hard for us to get our heads around. I, I understand that. But the fact that God created us this way, part of having bodily existence, is part of our goodness before God. And what God declares as good, we should not declare as junk. So that's the first thing. The second thing we already alluded to, the fact that Jesus takes flesh. The Word became flesh is a way of, again, honoring the goodness of our full humanity. Jesus, we said, we said Jesus became fully human. Fully human, right? He did, his, his bodily existence was not just pretend. And you'll recall, because this was a, a kind of echo here, you recall that the church has taught in the New Testament, that Jesus continues to bear his humanity at the right hand of the Father. Okay? Je Jesus is still a bodied being. Now, Paul, Paul in Corinthians 15, we're going to get there, is, is going to say that the body is not identical to human flesh that we have. But, He's not a spirit creature. He's not a ghost. Okay? New Testament church is clear about that. Okay? Can I get my head around that? No. Can you? Probably not. Um, but this is what we confess. It's beyond our complete understanding, but we're trying to say it's not. What we're trying to say is it's not um, somehow... Uh, at odds with everything that God has taught us. It's actually consonant with, right? It's in line with the goodness of creation, the incarnation that God, I mean, God doesn't think that becoming a human being, I mean, God, when the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Word takes flesh, there's no reason to think that Jesus said, ooh, a body, why do I got to do that? And God says, oh, it's just for a little while. You know, just put up with it. No, I mean, Jesus is going to be, right, fully human forever. Okay? Wasn't temporary. Jesus didn't shed his humanity in the resurrection. No, God redeemed Humanity in the resurrection. Okay? Made it complete. 
This is part of salvation. God is saving all of us. Not just this little tiny piece of us that we've been taught is the real us. Third thing. So notice we, if, you're, if you're a clever student, and you all are, uh, we're going back through the articles of the creed. Creation, incarnation. Now we're back to the spirit, back in Article 3. Implications, I mean, Paul very clearly teaches in, in 1 Corinthians and that we, that the, as human beings, right, we are the temple of the spirit. Right? We are the temple of the spirit. God dwells in us. Right? And us in 1 Corinthians, depending on which passage you're looking at, one time it means us all together, and one time Paul really means the Spirit dwells in us individually. Right? So the human person is a temple right, of the Spirit. Nowhere in Paul's literature does he use the language of the human soul in the way that you and I have been taught to think of it. Okay? Um, he just doesn't. It doesn't mean he doesn't use the word soul, but it's, it's very clear he doesn't mean by it what we mean by it. Um, the best I can get you to see is that when we've been taught to think of it, we have, it, we've, we have actually... So many of us, understandably, I'm not trying to blame anybody here, so please don't, I'm not scolding anybody. Don't feel scolded. Okay, please. Um, I mean, you and I got this just by breathing. You just, you just, you and I just took in the cultural air. Okay? So, I can't scold you for this anymore than I can scold you for breathing. But the way we've been taught to think about it is that the human being can be carved up into distinct pieces and are separable. But when the New Testament talks about, um, you know, love the Lord your God with all your what? All your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. What there's, they don't mean there's four different parts of you and see if you can get all four of those to like an orchestra to do this thing. That's just their way of saying all of you, everything. Okay. So when Paul's talking about the soul, he doesn't think it's a separable piece of the human person that you can tease out. Actually, I mean, Paul thinks, I mean, the word that we translate as soul is in Greek, suke, which is the, is the, the, the root from which we get words like psychology. Um, but it just means the sort of human animation, right? That we're capable of just basically humans to being animated. And this is what's going on in that famous passage that so confuses us, although we don't think we're confused. You're going to be confused by it now because I'm going to help you see it doesn't say what you think it's saying. Um, it should have confused us before. But we thought it was just telling us what we already knew, right? So if, you're, if you want to look at 
1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. This, this whole, this whole uh, section is Paul's response to people who say, well, what kind of body are we going to have? Okay, you say there's going to be resurrection of the dead. Okay, well, what kind of body? And he goes on to say, you know, you fool. I mean, it's, it's not at all what you think it is. So 40, 42. You should go home and read the whole chapter, by the way. But we can't tease out the whole chapter. I keep thinking we're going to have to come back to this. You know, probably need a new, probably need a like ten week series on First Corinthians fifteen. But I'll give you a break before we get come back to this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Verse forty two. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Here's the verse that trips us us. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. It's like, aha, see, that's the soul, the spirit body. I mean, if, if Paul wanted to say that, he could have just said that. A soul is not a spirit body. <laughs> why is he, right? Um, why does he talk about the body? Here's the deal. When Paul uses the word spiritual, here. He doesn't mean ethereal. Okay. Um, I don't want to get technical about the Greek, but the, the, the suffix on the word spiritual for Paul doesn't mean he's not describing the substance of something. Like the difference, like he was, if he was talking about ships, you know, you have a wooden ship and then you have a steel ship. That's not what he's talking about. Physical and spiritual don't mean the kind of body, like what it's made of. Although that's what we think, because that's the way we use the words. Okay. I wish, I wish the, the NRSV and the old RSV hadn't translated this way, because I think it misled us. This word, pneumatikos, doesn't mean what kind of things it is. It means how it's powered. Okay, so it's, it's not, Paul's not talking, if he was talking about ships, he's not talking about the difference between a wooden ship and a steel ship. He's talking the difference between a steam-powered ship and a nuclear-powered ship. They're both ships. That's not to, to debate. The question is what powers it. And the word physical here is suke. Soul. It's the word we translated soul. Right? What he's saying is this was sown a body that's just animated by normal human spirit. Right? Like the breath of God that like God breathed into us and we became a living soul. Right? A living suke. A living nephish. Right? Same thing. But Paul's saying the resurrected body is going to be animated by the spirit of Jesus. That's what's different. So it's not the... And he's, again, clear, it's going to be a different kind of body. But that's not what he's focused on here, is what it's made of. One was a physical, substantive thing. The next one's going to be a spirit, spirit body. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it was sown okay, as a body animated by just being human. But now, 
it's going to be animated by the Spirit. And what we've already seen is that Spirit's already given to us. Right? That Spirit's already given to us as a down payment. Right? As a down payment on what's to come. This is why Paul thinks it's important that we're what makes the communion of saints the communion of saints is the Spirit. Right? We're in the third article. Okay. So this is this has all kinds of implications. Um, it doesn't answer, I want to be clear, it doesn't answer the question that most of us want to know and that the New Testament is very reticent on. And that is what we could call the, the intermediate state. Like, where, where are people between their death and God's resurrection, right? The challenge is, I mean, the church could not resist for 2,000 years talking about that. But there's very little biblical about that, if we want to be honest. You can take a parable here, you can take half a verse there, you can take an intimation there, and you can take any one of those and try to spell out a full theory but I would hesitate to say it's fully biblical. Um, which, I mean, that's what we'd like to know, but for whatever reason, God hasn't given us a full-blown, you know, revelation of that. Okay? Even though, I admit, I mean, I'd like to know that too. But in some ways, we're, we're back to where Jews have been and the early church is, and that is, our hope is in not in a theory. Our hope is in God who has promised in the resurrection of Jesus that we too will be resurrected. And that will include some type of bodied existence. We're not going to be angels. Right? It's interesting, the New Testament says the angels are jealous of us. Right? They kind of like to be like us because in some ways, we're, we're more fully real. And, the, and here's the point. Our new bodies will be more real than these. Okay? Our new body. So not only is God not going to get rid of our bodies, God's going to give us bodies that are more real than these. Okay? More real. Because our bodily existence is not a bad thing. Our bodily existence just needs to be animated fully by the Spirit of Jesus. That's our hope. It's a very different hope than the Greek hope of just the immortality of the soul. And I wish we had I wish we as the church had taught this better. Right? Um, so this is part confession. We haven't done a very good job on this, and, which is why it sounds so odd, so strange, so foreign, and maybe threatening because once you've had a certain way, once I've had a certain way of thinking about this my whole life, it feels, it feels anxious to, to have that questioned. And I understand that. But I want you to hear, or at least try to hear, in, in the biblical vision is, is what God wants for us is better than what I would have been taught to think I wanted. Right. Um, 
but that God, and we'll talk more about this, this is why we're coming to part two. Next when we talk about eternal life. Well, like, what's that? Well, what can we say about that? If, you know, the final vision, Revelation 21, right, is of a new heaven and a new earth. Um, why would you need that, right, if we're just souls? Um, so, what, last thing. So the New Testament, go back to this one thing, the New Testament doesn't carve up the human person into separable entities. You have a body, you have a soul, you have a spirit. And about the only analogy I can think of um, is to think of that's the New Testament's ways of trying to talk about the full-bodied, multi-dimensional human being that we are. And we need at times to be able to talk about things. Uh, about us, just like, you know, when you're talking about the dimensions of a room, it's helpful to be able to say, you know, this is the width of the room, or we can call it the width, it kind of depends on which one you want to call it, right? Or the height, or the, the depth. But what the New Testament doesn't do is think you can just tease, take one of those and say, this is the human person, and take the others and say, they're not. They're not the human person, right? I mean, Jesus comes back from the dead. He's, he's a bodily being, right? That's not just theatrics, okay? There's something important about that that we're confessing when we say we believe in the resurrection of the body. It's not just Jesus. What happened to Jesus is going to happen to us. Do I know what kind of body it is? No, but it's a body capable of being animated by the spirit of Jesus. Glorified body. Yeah, what does that mean? Right? A glorified body. Right? Even these bodies are capable of glorying God. Right? This is why what we believe in the sacraments, right? Um, so this body is made from the dust. It will return to the dust. It's not just dust. Right? Which is why, you know, when we take that, put our hands out there at the Eucharist, and we receive that bread, right? It's bread, but it's not just bread. We believe that God can do, can make that more than bread, just like He can make you more than dust, and you are more than dust, and you will be more than dust someday. Do I know how God's going to do it? I do not. As God told us, God has not. But God has promised that God will do that. And what God hasn't said is, like the dimensions of the room, I'm just going to save the width of you. But the length and breadth of you are junk. That's, in, that's, that's incoherent. Right? You can't, just have, you can't just have the width of me. Right? And you can't just have, you know, something, you know, the soul, the spirit, the mind, the body. I mean, those, all of that's the human being. And God comes to redeem the whole human being. That's good news, okay? That's good news. It might be unsettling news because that's not maybe what we've heard. But I think that's gospel news. I think that's biblical good news. It might take us a while to sort through all that. So, if this has been dis disorienting, again, I'm, we're praying that God can somehow use this for our good. Mm -hmm.
Let's pray. Gracious God, I know that sometimes when we have these conversations and look at your word, I sometimes imagine you as chuckling, maybe just a little. Um, but on the other hand, I know you take these things deeply seriously because you know that we, um, we are creatures who, when faced with the fear of death, uh, the inevitability of death, want to know where you've asked us to place our hope. And you have been clear that we should place our hope in you and the you that we've seen revealed most fully in Jesus Christ and what you've done in and through Jesus Christ and what you will continue to do through your spirit. And so may we um, abide in that hope and the, the trust in you that you will in fact do what you've promised to do, which that you will raise us, right? You will raise us as you raised Jesus. Right? And we will live into the life eternal in communion with you. We pray this through the one who has gone ahead of us, bearing his humanity, even Jesus Christ. <laughs>